All right, everybody. Badlands food. I've been thinking about getting a dog with my little family. We are about to introduce a dog, I believe, at some point here, and I have a interest in how we're going to be treating said dog. And it occurs to me, you know, that many dogs suffer from health issues. And with Badlands Food, actress Catherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. She's looking at their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that by just adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how anyone could do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. It caught my attention, and as I'm about to uh, get a dog, I think that I'm going to uh, use this service, so I thought I'd share it with the audience as well. Uh, I know many of you have dogs. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com slash dark topic and watch Catherine's video right now again that's b-a-d-l-a-n-d-s-f-o-o-d.com slash dark topic to check it out badlandsfood.com can we talk seven else can, can we talk about seven Hello, out there. Do you remember being a 10-year-old? Every single one of us can probably answer yes to that. The unique experience of being 10 years old is something we all shared. Unless you're 9 years old or younger listening to this, in which case I apologize for my, uh, for my ageism. I should have checked that at the door, as they say. Being 10 came and went so quickly, though while it was happening, it felt like forever. We were, after all, only 10 years old, only maybe six or seven, eight years fully aware. Time flies as we get older. Once grade six, grade seven starts, it's all a blur fueled by puberty. Once you start thinking about sex, your childhood kind of ends. And by 10, I'm sure some will say they were thinking about sex, which isn't really something I've ever been impressed by. Speak for yourself, I was whacking off when I was six years old. Smoking cigarettes, drinking whiskey. Shut the fuck up. Whacking off when you were six. What are you talking about? For most of us, we hadn't been stolen away by the shadow called puberty. Yet it hadn't enveloped us, stolen us away by the age of ten. But as we grew and began to morph into young adults, a big step happened that many of us may have forgotten. We stopped being so deathly afraid of the unknown, of the dark. Of course, a fear of the unknown persists throughout life, but it's not like it is at 10, when we're scared because we should be, because we need to be. Scared because there are things out there hunting us, and we can sense them. We don't know why they want us. We don't know why they want to take us away, but our parents are warning us about them, stranger danger, all that shit. So we know that they're out there, something. If it could, 
it would take us away and do something horrible to us. You ever had a shadow pass over you? It's unsettling. It triggers some ancient alarm that warns we could be pounced on by something. That's what it's like to be ten, at night, alone. It always feels like something is about to pounce on you. Welcome to Dark Topic. I'm your host, Jack Luna. This is a true crime happening. McEerie. June 26th, 2009. McCleary, Washington. Population around 1600. It's 9 o'clock p.m. The shadows from the surrounding elevated terrain begin to slowly flood the bowl of humanity down below, the darkness seeming to stretch like a filthy veil over the face of this small town. A face across which a little girl is speed-walking through the stubble of trees, then down the desolate road that will lead her to what she needs, the safety of her bedroom. Ten-year-old Lindsay Baum is only weeks away from her 11th birthday. But like with this disguised dash to get home, she's not going to make it. The little girl has a healthy fear of the dark, of the unknown. She is an aspiring writer, fascinated with ghost stories, campfire stories. She had hoped to be tucked in with her best friend, reading some now by the glow of a flashlight, but nothing has gone as planned today. A Friday. Not the 13th, that had been 13 days ago, but it sure felt like an unlucky day week. Just yesterday she had told her mother she was having a bad feeling. What was the word for it? A premise something? She'd been watching too many scary movies lately. That one taken had really got her. With the people who steal kids and sell them and do stuff she never considered. There could be real life monsters before. But of course there were. That's where the scary movie people got their ideas from. After all, Lindsay's step likely quickens as she remembers the man from the park the other day. She and her friend had been in the girls' washroom when he came bursting in, stared at them for a moment, then took off on a bike, which had been kind of funny, but then this loud white car had been following them later on, and then that movie had made her imagination run wild. She'd had that fight with her brother over a bike earlier today, another piece of bad luck. And so Lindsay had found herself in this foot race against the darkness, in this restrained sprint that feels like, and is in fact, a matter of life or death. She's too proud to run. That prema thing that's been sending a chill through her bones, premonition, is just her imagination. That's what everyone tells her. She has an active imagination. One building cold thoughts around her like an igloo that make her shiver, even in the dead heat of this late summer's evening. At home, her shelves are lined with Harry Potter and Twilight. Maybe someday she'd have her own shelf in the library, like R.L. Stein, like J.K. Rowling. Perhaps, if given enough time, names like Dean Kuntz, Anne Rice, Stephen King would have given Lindsay a tingle of inspiration, building warm thoughts around her, like a shield. But again, her time is up. The little girl disappears swept away by the shadows that douse the small logging town in blackness. And by midnight, half of the community is looking for Lindsay, her name choking the empty air of McCleary 
repeating over and over until the pre-dawn stillness finally manages to swallow it. When the sun rises to burn away the blackness, the ten-year-old does not emerge from it. Over the next two weeks, the other half of town joins the search, and it eventually becomes eerily clear to the troubled population of McCleary, McEary, that Lindsay Baum is gone. It will be eight years before she is located. 150 miles or so away in a remote forested area of eastern Washington. It is the fall of 2017 when her remains are discovered by hunters. And the news, though, received with some relief, is devastating. That Halloween is a difficult one in McCleary. It's not an easy thing to send your children out into a place from where the ghost of a little girl just returned home a skeleton. There are suspects, well, persons of interest, POIs, get used to that. POIs, person of interest, not far from where. Lindsay is discovered in Seattle, an old Victorian house that was home to three pedophilic brothers is getting aired out. The Emery House. You may have heard of this decrepit, disgusting trio. Actually, it was a quartet of predators, all in their late 70s, early 80s, or dead when Seattle police discovered their residence to be, quote, jam-packed with sexually explicit images and videos of young girls, along with girls' clothing, shoes, toys, and handwritten notes about girls being kidnapped, raped, tortured, and killed, end quote. The ghoulish Emery brothers, now senior citizens on the cusp of being swallowed by their own shadows, have been haunting the home with the evilest of hobbies for decades. They were characters straight from an old fairy tale. Monsters obsessed with delighting themselves in dark fantasies focused upon children. But though they are within striking distance, they are never considered serious suspects in the kidnapping, in the likely rape and the certain murder of young Lindsay Baum. It appears that they were simply admirers of whomever had actually done it. Jealous, like a wake of old vultures, picking at psychic scraps of the young girl's unspeakable end. Despite how I probably make it seem at times, it is a rare instance, a child being stolen off the street by a stranger. For as much as we all were warned and worried about being abducted as kids, for as often as a bolt of fear surges through us as adults when a child disappears for any length of time, this obsessive concern is largely unnecessary, but completely appropriate when such a nightmare becomes reality for anyone, anywhere. Because if you think a 10-year-old kid should be fine running home from their friend's house as the sun goes down, like I do, in a safe, small, rural town, on a typical, quiet summer's evening with a sunset so pretty that it should have burned the ugliness out of Lindsay's pursuer's heart, if you think that in this day and age a kid is likely safe on their own running home through the pine tree needled streets of a picturesque little town like McEerie, well then, McClearly, you're mistaken. Kidnappings happen all the time, and more often than not, a family member is involved, which isn't as frightening as a stranger. Scary, sure, but there's nothing more unsettling than news of the shadow that swallows a child. The classic nightmare of the man in the van is widely just that, a nightmare, not real. But I'm here to remind you that the man in the van is out there. He's not everywhere but he might as well be. That's the thing about little Lindsay Baum's story. She could have been any child, 
running home anywhere. And not in a nightmare in some made-up place like in this episode's title. McEerie is a mythological village poured into the imprint of a giant's foot in the middle of an ancient forest, in my mind. A little girl was swallowed by the shadow of sunset that filled the giant footprint like black water one evening and swept her away over the lip of the big toe. McCleary is a small logging town in Washington where some piece-of-shit child molester saw Lindsay walking home at dusk and managed to get her in his vehicle. White? Like the one Lindsay said had followed her before? We don't know. We do know there was a suspicious white truck in McCleary around the time the little girl was taken. We also know that a house full of missing posters and child porn and filthy old men obsessed with fantasies of ruining children existed an hour or so from where she was kidnapped, that only half an hour away was a shack the brothers owned, that later would have Lindsay's missing poster crumpled and stained within. This is where the fourth Emery brother, deceased in 2016, had literally shacked up a straight shot to McCleary. We know that at minimum, two more suspicious characters could have been lurking as Lindsay fought her premonition off, as she struggled not to run through that frightening walk home back in late June of 2009. And we'll get to them. But what I realize now is that it's not just McCleary. I understand that if a child were to go missing in my town or down the street from you, that an investigation into our surrounding areas would reveal potential monsters. There'd be some weird guys they'd look into. McCleary isn't cursed. It just had its shadows yanked into the light because one of them swallowed a little girl. It sure does feel like something that happened somewhere else. In another time, even. Like back in the 70s. But no, this is 2009. Lindsay Baum should be sipping her first alcoholic drink while reading The Witching Hour or Salem's Lot right now. She should be 21. She should be listening to a true crime podcast, not appearing on one as her forever 10-year-old version. The one who lost that race home to a shadow she was certain she felt coming. Thankfully, I don't have to leave you in complete darkness here. Can you imagine how dark that road must have been? How scared she was? How brutal her killer had to be? Mercifully, there is a little light at the end of this story that whomever, whatever, snatched the little girl and dwarfed every fear her overactive imagination ever could have conceived of and more on the way to discarding the child like a beer can out in the woods further down the road. There is hope that he is off the streets. Back in March of 2003, a 17-year-old girl was abducted in McCleary by a complete stranger. Her name is protected, but the girl was jumped while parking her car in her parents' garage. She was beaten to the ground, tied up with duct tape and wire. The girl screamed and kicked and fought like hell, but eventually she found herself being shoved into the trunk of her own vehicle. When her assailant couldn't get the trunk closed, he moved her to the back seat, then reversed the car out of her father's garage and sped off, his victim screaming through the tape over her mouth, first towards her house, then the neighbors, but then, as she was whisked away down a country road, one much like that which Lindsay Baum would be stolen away on six years later, the desperate girl begins pleading for the man to remove the tape. She can't breathe well through her nose. The man becomes enraged. He stops the car. They are out in the woods now. Nobody will hear her if he removes the tape, but he doesn't. Instead, the man begins slapping the girl around. He pokes her in the eyes with his fat fingers. He demands that she breathe. Breathe or he'll slap and poke her face into a pulp. Her survival instincts kick in and she begins to breathe through her nose. She stops fighting. She stops screaming. 
This man is sadistic. She realizes she is doomed and can only hope to minimize his arousal by complying. He then rapes her. Then he tells her she will live, though if she tells anyone about this, he'll come back. He'll appear in her home in the night, and he will kill her father. Then he will burn the house down. She won't tell. He cuts the bindings on her hands. He drives her into town. The filthy veil of dusk has blanketed the face of McCleary, much like he must have blanketed his face as well. Nobody sees them. He deserts the girl and her vehicle near the fire station. Then he gets out and goes home. It's a short walk. Then she musters the courage to drive home herself. She doesn't want to tell, but her father can see she's been beaten. Her ankles are bound. She tells it all and prepares to live a life in fear. A rape kit is used to collect from the victim what will eventually be the perpetrator's downfall, DNA. It will take another lifetime for the teenager, 17 years, before her attacker is identified. In December of 2020, there finally was discovered a match to the DNA when McCleary's sheriff submitted the sample to a genealogy service. They were able to track the girl's attacker, much in the same way the Golden State Killer had recently been hunted down, matching the DNA to a relative of the rapist in the genealogy lab's databank, then narrowing down a suspect before securing a discarded coffee cup and confirming that they had their man. 50-year-old Paul Beaker, who in 2003 had lived in McCleary, a short distance from the victim's home, was the brutal abductor and rapist. McCleary's innocence had been put into question by the 2003 garage abduction and later rape. In 2009, it had its face beaten in by the media when Lindsay Baum disappeared walking home. What is wrong with this place? And now, just recently, in late 2020, while a pandemic stole headlines, one of their own had been uncovered as possibly responsible for all of it. Rosetta Stone, everybody. You know, for a long time, I've been wanting to go to Japan, but the thing holding me back is that I'm intimidated by the language and that's why i've been going pretty hard at the rosetta stone service i want to be able to take my girl to japan a place that she's always wanted to go and suddenly just start speaking fluent japanese at the restaurant that's my goal (laughs) rosetta stone is the most trusted language learning program available on a desktop or as an app and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn it's been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users 25 languages offered It's fast language acquisition. Rosetta Stone immerses you in a bunch of ways. Uh, There's an intuitive process where you pick up the language naturally, first with words and phrases, then sentences. They have the speech recognition feature. Built-in true accent gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Uh, It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient, and it's an amazing value, especially with this offer here. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started for a very limited time, Dark Topic listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Today. All right, everybody. Zipix toothpicks. This is something that I use all the time. So this episode is brought to you by Zipix Nicotine Toothpicks. Zipix brings you a totally satisfying, convenient, and great-tasting way to curb your nicotine cravings. Now you can get your nicotine fix anytime, anywhere, without having to rely on smoking or vaping. 
Zipix toothpicks give you an easier, better, and more discreet way to get your fix. They're available in six great long-lasting flavors, and they have options in two milligrams and three milligrams of nicotine. Zipix are perfect for flights, sporting events, restaurants, podcasting, uh, literally anywhere that you smoke or vape where that's banned. They're also one of the most cost-effective nicotine products on the market. Zipix also offers caffeine and B12 infused toothpicks if you're not a nicotine user or if you're trying to get away from your nicotine habit. Zipix have already helped tens of thousands of customers, including myself, to get their nicotine fix without needing to inhale smoke or vape oils. Make your lungs happy and try Zipix nicotine infused toothpicks. So ditch the cigarettes, ditch the vape, and get some nicotine infused toothpicks at zipixtoothpicks.com today. Get 10% off your first order by using the code DARKTOPIC at checkout. Your lungs will be glad you did. Must be 21 years of age or older to order. Warning, nicotine is an addictive chemical. Zip more, smoke less with Zipix nicotine toothpicks. Incredible. The odds of a town with less than 1,700 people having been the hunting ground for not just one, but two of the most frightening breed of human being. The stalker, the kidnapper, the torturer, the rapist, the killer. In Lindsey Baum's case, the odds of there being two of these guys in McEerie are pretty low, which leads many to believe that Paul Beaker abducted Lindsey Baum six years after he abducted and raped the 17-year-old from the garage. Except this time he would be sure to get rid of the evidence way out in the woods. Beaker was a soccer coach for girls at McCleary, and guess who had just joined the league he was a part of? Little Lindsey Baum from Tennessee. He didn't coach her age group, but it's not a stretch to think that he'd spotted her on the playing fields. It's a very small town. New people stand out. Paul Beaker has not been charged with the abduction and murder of the 10-year-old, though perhaps this year he will be. There are other persons of interest in Lindsey Baum's case, like the pedophilic Emery brothers I mentioned. But as compelling as that dying clatch of cantankerous characters is, there are two more plausible POIs, though none as promising as the soccer coach, the vicious rapist, and McCleary's own Paul Beaker, who was actually out on $250,000 bail, I'm finding out now. Well, shit, that's uncomfortable. Perhaps they've got him locked up by the time this episode releases, but it looks like Paul Beaker is out after posting bail in June of 2021. I'm not sure how you even get the opportunity to make bail while suspected in a little girl's abduction or as a person of interest in a little girl's abduction, likely rape and murder. And absolutely having been identified as the culprit in a horrific kidnapping and rape case where he threatened to murder the victim's father herself and burn their house down if she said anything. How do you let this guy go? I guess we have our answer. You come up with a quarter of a million dollars. I'm reminded now of how when Paul Beaker's unnamed victim returned home after being let free, she had sped home, pulled into the driveway, not willing to go back into that garage, and began honking her horn to get her dad to come out to help her. When he did, he saw his daughter, Mel, still covered in duct tape, face bruised, ankles bound. He ripped the tape off, helped her into the house, cut her bindings from her legs, and she started running around the house, closing curtains and locking doors, repeating over and over, quote, He's watching. He's watching. I imagine that family can't be too pleased about Paul Beaker being out. 
seeing how he threatened to burn the house down and kill the father. After kidnapping, beating, and raping his daughter. After living in fear, they have been since 2003 under the cloud of that threat from a guy who basically lived around the corner at one time. And that's upsetting. But back to the Lindsay Baum case. Until Paul Beaker is thoroughly investigated in the 10-year-old's murder, we have two more POIs to poke at. Not literally, like how Beaker poked at his victim's eyes, demanding she slow down and breathe around the duct tape. He's out? It says here that he's limited to travel the four counties around McCleary. Nice. How the fuck is this guy out? Again, maybe he's back in now. The information just kind of goes dark in the summer of 2021, and I'm just coming across this. Now I missed it the first time around. Not sure why there isn't more here. And uh, I don't know. Anyways, Paul Beaker, that's B-I-E-K-E-R. Anyways, there's always a handful of weirdo perverts who get dragged in when a little kid gets dragged out. And Beaker isn't the only shadow McCreary had shifting around when Lindsay was erased. The first of the last two POIs, a 23-year-old whom had been accused of attempting to rape a 12-year-old girl when he was a teen. This unidentified creep was obsessed with this case, telling friends that he couldn't get over the fact that a little girl from McCleary had been taken and dismembered. He was talking like this while Lindsay Baum was still missing. There was no evidence, no press release, nothing that she had been dismembered. This was while her image was still plastered on missing posters over the sides of transport trucks traveling across the country to spread the word of her theft, likely moaning past the bones of the little girl on occasion, sending a shiver down the spine, wherever it is out there. A fraction of the skull was all they ever found of Lindsay. But a shiver down the spine, wherever it is, so strong that it traveled into the past in the form of a prema something, a bad feeling for a 10-year-old. A premonition. This POI, this POS, who had been working at a retirement home close to where Lindsay was abducted, owned a white sports car with a loud muffler, and most likely was the one who had been following Lindsay to the point where she told her mother about the loud white car. On the night Lindsay disappeared, this oddball's phone, which records would show him constantly texting upon on any other evening, went silent from 9.15 p.m. until 1 a.m. The exact time frame wherein McKeary's shadow would have been hustling away its prey. Lindsay's mother would later complain that this loud white car guy was following her around as she searched for her daughter in the days following the abduction. When he was confronted by police, loud white car guy claimed his reasoning to be that he had found Lindsay's mother's car suspicious and had been following it in case it was the kidnapper's vehicle, which is weird as shit. A search of his home yielded nothing, and he remains a POI, person of interest. It's important to continue noting that there are no suspects in the Lindsay Baum case, just POIs and POSs. That's a piece of shit for the record. Pieces of shit. A jeweler, whose business was along the route where Lindsay disappeared, became a suspect when his claim that he'd been out of town the night of the abduction was found to be false. The jeweler, who in fact had contacted, then driven Lindsay's mother around town looking for the little girl that night, also was caught in a convenience store surveillance cam in McCleary around 10 p.m., just after Lindsay vanished. So why would he lie? 
And why, when police searched his home, did he have handwritten notes about the little girl's vanishing and suspicious ropes, whatever that means, perhaps ropes cut to length for bondage? I'm just speculating. The guy was a volunteer EMT and had claimed to have forgotten he'd returned to McCleary right around the time a shadow swept Lindsay Baum off of the street, the same street that he had a business on, there and about where he, where he worked. He said that he'd be gone for some training, but that was a lie. His jewelry business was on the street, Maple, I believe, but I've read conflicting street name where Lindsay had been walking home that night. And though the jeweler and guy acting sketchy on surveillance cams, Tim Hartman, Claimed to be some proud volunteer civil servant type. You know these guys. After the search of his home, he refused to speak to detectives any further. A Google search of Hartman Jewelry reveals it is now at a business. And it was on 4th Street, which crosses Maple. So Lindsay Baum was in this area the night she was walking home and disappeared. Anyways, there's nothing shiny uh, like the jewelry store he owned or sweet like the street maple that Lindsay vanished from. There's nothing shiny or sweet about any of these POIs. Personally, I think Paul Beaker, the McCleary rapist, is the one that should be watched closest. That would have gone without saying until I discovered he was out on bail. Again, I've come across this in the last minutes of my research, so uh, I'm not 1,000% that he is still out, but it looks like this guy's out on bail. Anyway, some places just seem to attract or create bad people. It's almost as if there's something in the air, the water, something deep in the memory of the rocks, the trees, the land that creates fertile territory for evil to manifest. Lindsay Baum felt it. She wasn't from McCleary. She was new to town, from Tennessee, from where her father still lived and from where he was deployed to the Middle East not long after his daughter, whom he spoke to often by phone, went missing. Lindsay's mother and brother fell apart over the years, staying with friends, becoming almost homeless as Lindsay's mother was paralyzed by the theft of her child. The brother riddled with guilt over the bike he'd fought away from his sister just hours before her disappearance. Everyone around this was traumatized, her mother especially, being her mother. But beyond that, having spoken to her daughter the previous night and knowing Lindsay had felt that something wasn't right, that bothers her. Lindsay had told her mother the day before her disappearance, that something bad was going to happen, that she could feel it. It's why she wanted her friend to sleep over at her house. It's why she likely rushed home the night of her abduction, but not quick enough. For a 10-year-old girl, the dangers of the world are omnipresent. Everything is scary. The car driving too slow, the man standing near the bathroom, the movie with the people who steal kids for sex and whatever that entails, the new town with the shadows shifting that Lindsay Baum sensed the danger in so clearly. Lindsay was prey, and prey can tell when it has a predator. It must. It's nature's way. A ten-year-old can feel things that adults have long forgotten, because the adult has shed their child self's vulnerability. They got big. The predator can still feel it. It's a part of this. A predator can sense the prey the same way the prey senses the predator, though it's a nightmarish, ugly, unnatural, psychic thing when it comes to child predators and children. A shadowy dance that swirls invisibly all about us and there's nothing we can do about it. Except to remember how important it is to listen closely to our children. Like Amelia Earhart once said, quote, being alone is scary, 
but not as scary as feeling alone. In the end, we don't stay 10 years old very long, so for the majority of us, the shadows will have passed us by, causing only an occasional flinch, an occasional chill. And for a sensitive child, all they can do is ride it out, under the blankets, squeeze their eyes shut, and pray that the shadows won't swallow them up before the sun rises to strike them away. That is, if the child can make it home quick enough to get into bed first. And that'll do it. Thank you for listening, and I hope this uplifting episode found you well. They can't all be the, uh... (laughs) The uplifting stuff of waking up with Jack Luna. I should have named those contemplating suicide with Jack Luna. Sorry about that. I tried something new, but uh, I might come back to it at some point. But I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get this rolling here again. Uh, maybe on my next bender, I'll start up the sobriety podcast again. Here's what's been really working for me. When I get down the dumps lately, I take a good look in the mirror and say, "Quote: Don't be such a fucking baby about it." And though that's pretty close to the truth, I'm joking. I know that I'm the greatest. I know that I'm just real special and just like worth it, you know? And you are too. Thank you to all those who sent me voicemails and shared their stories and well wishes to me. I'm doing great. I'm just trying to keep up with all the stuff. 911 Cox Pod, no, whoa. <laughs> 911 Calls Podcast, uh, which is about 911 calls, not about people who are afraid of large penises calling for help. True Crime Kent. Um, and a whole bunch of extras on 1159 Media Patreon. We do a podcast called Brutal. We do a Tier 13 Campfire, which is the three of us telling uh, scary stories. Dark Meets, early 911s, early True Crime Kent, early Dark Topic when I do one. Um, uncuts, extra 911 calls. Lots. We got lots going on at 1159 Media Patreon. So if you're looking for more, uh, uh, there's a Dark Topic monthly at uh, Tier 13. Anyways, I'm feeling pretty good this year about Dark Topic. No promises. I'll try to be back in less than two months next time. I want to acknowledge the uh, passing of a longtime Dark Topic listener and friend, Kim Phillip. Kim was such a wonderful person. She was a champion for victims of crime and relentless in her pursuit of justice for victims like Lindsey Baum. Kim Phillip was well-known and respected by many in law enforcement and in the true crime podcast world. She meant more to me than I can even tell you. She was truly special, and she will be greatly missed. I tell you about Kim. Kim sensed things and felt things. This is going to sound crazy. But that were honestly like supernatural. She was really something. She made me believe uh, in more. She made me, you know, um, and I'll always be grateful for that. She would tell me things, you know, over the years I knew her that, um, that you know, like nobody could know, that only the dead would know about myself. and. I'll leave it at that because I don't think she want me to go any further. She'd say something. She, uh, don't bother with all that, honey. Don't bother with don't bother with all that, honey. I can't do an Arkansas accent. Clearly, she was just very rare. Don't bother with all that, honey. No, she was just very rare. You have an extreme talent. You're not recognizing yourself. You know, you you're not recognizing your talent and your ability. 
It's endless. I've said this to you before when I did the reading. You have endless talent and abilities. And to branch out doing other things is only positive any way you look at it when it comes to you. It's it's an endless sea that is there. That's that's it. You can do anything. And uh, I know a lot of people are hurting over Kim's sudden passing. She was an angel. And now, and I know this fucking sounds crazy. Trust me, I'm pretty sure she's an actual angel now. <laughs> Whatever that means. Um, and man, she hated child predators more than anything. So maybe uh, some lightning will strike this case and cases like these with her in the mix <clears throat> out there. All right. Thank you for your patience with me. I'll be right back like a deadbeat dad. Uh, off to grab a six pack. Check out my brother Leroy Luna's podcast in the meantime. Excuse me, that's illegal. He's on fire. Very consistent. Taking a hardcore look at softcore crimes. Excuse me, that's illegal. Is a podcast you should be listening to. It's hilarious. And as always, for additional content and to support Dark Topic and all 1159 Media shows, visit patreon.com slash 1159media. I did get a little choked up there, but mainly that's heartburn. Honey, until next time, keep those eyes cocked, those doors locked, and stay paranoid. Thank you.